and all of us exists a longing for community, for real deep relationships. We desire to become known, to belong, to drop the facade and let others into our lives and in turn be invited into theirs. But being in close community with others isn't always easy. For some of us, we're simply too busy cramming our lives with plans and activities that there is little to no room to form deep connections. We simply check the box of showing up and move on with the rest of our week or forsake gathering altogether, relegating it to an optional part of our lives and discipleship to Jesus. For others, there exists hurt or painful previous experiences, leaving scars and anxieties about letting others into our lives to know us intimately. Wounded, we keep others at bay or never really engage authentically. Regardless of our experience, without community, without leaning into the tension that comes with intertwining our lives with those who may not be like us, without slowing down enough to build those roots, we will remain stunted and stagnant in our journey into becoming more like Jesus. As followers of Jesus, we are not merely a gathering of friends or like-minded Christians. Rather, we are called to transform into a new family. Our journey involves embracing the beautiful chaos of genuinely living life together, standing side by side in deeply rooted relationship with Jesus guiding us every step of the way. Good morning, everybody. It's uh, it's really great to see you on this uh, very sunny morning. That's awesome. I came in this morning. I don't know if you guys are like this, but I came in this morning. I was walking in from the, the back parking lot, and as I uh, walked into the presence of the sun, I just stopped for a minute, and I was just like, oh, I ah, you guys feel it. So it's, it's great to see you guys here. And uh, so welcome to all of you who are uh, to, in the room. Of course, like Kevin said, if you're watching on live stream, I want to extend a very special welcome to you. Or if you happen to be upstairs right now in one of those spaces, we just want to say hi to you too. And I'm uh, really grateful we're able to be together. And I want you to know that if you're just joining us, if you happen to be a guest with us here today, it's your first time, uh, we do just want to extend a very, very special welcome to you. Thanks for being our guest. And you're actually catching us this week in the fifth week. This is week five of a series that we've been in together that's called Community. And uh, just to kind of catch you up to speed, what we're talking about in this series is we're talking about something that we believe God deeply desires for every single one of us, both for our health and for our growth and for our well-being, and that is specifically biblical community, that God desires a a community for us. He wants us to be connected to and part of uh, a biblical community. And so like I said, this is week five in this series, and I thought as we jump into kind of the topic that we're going to be dealing with here today, I actually thought maybe a good place to start would be to start with a quick story. And uh, so um, my wife and I, um, we actually have uh, some very, very, very dear friends of ours, and uh, they happen to be a uh, kind of a young married couple. And a few years ago, they got married, and uh, after they got married, they ended up moving into a house that they were renting uh, in a community not too far from here. So they moved into the house, and they were kind of newlyweds. And so at first, everything was going really great for them um, and, until about a couple of months into uh, kind of moving in and, and, and being newlyweds. What they started to experience, uh, specifically what started happening was our one friend started having these really uh, kind of debilitating headaches. It's kind of a new thing that started happening. So she started getting these headaches, and uh, of course, that was concerning to them. But over time, it seemed like the intensity and the frequency of these, these migraines that she was getting just started to increase and increase and increase. So obviously, that was very concerning to them, and uh, they wanted to kind of get down to, the, to, to what was causing this. So they went to several different doctors and, and tried to figure it out. They tried a couple of different prescriptions and medicines, and nothing seemed to be working. There was a couple different treatment 
plans that they were starting to work, and it just seemed like nothing was working, and the headaches just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And as you can imagine, that was very, very frustrating, and that actually extended for over a couple-year period of time, trying to figure out what was going on with our friends and these headaches that she was experiencing. And all that kind of happened until one day, uh, my friend happened to notice in one of the bathrooms of his house, so he was in one of the bathrooms, and, and he, he kind of noticed something they hadn't seen before, that underneath kind of where the, share, the shower area was, that there was what kind of looked like sort of like this, this sort of dark kind of mildewy stuff. And so when he saw that, it triggered him. And it triggered him to thinking that, man, maybe, what, maybe what's contributing to, to her headaches is possibly something that's in the house. Maybe that's what's going on. So uh, this kind of prompted him to call a professional. So they had a professional come out and do kind of like an air quality test in the house. And uh, I guess whenever they do that, what, what they'll do is a professional will go outside of your house and take an air test, like an air quality test, and then they'll go in your house and take an air quality test and then kind of compare the two and, and sort of see what's going on. And so the professional went into the basement and he ran this air quality test and he went to my friends and he said to them, he said, hey, I need to tell you that your house, this house that you're renting is uninhabitable. And uh, they were like, well, what's going on? And he said, there is a dangerously high level of black mold spores that are in the air. And, uh, and here what had happened is what, I, what apparently started as a mold problem in their basement had grown and grown and grown and eventually permeated and impacted every room in the house and made it so that it was dangerous to live in. And uh, so my friends asked them, they said, well, what would it take to you know, get things back down to like a, a healthy level or a livable level? And the guy said, you would need a professional mold remediation company to come in and gas the entire place. And more than likely, you're probably talking about tearing down some of the walls of the foundation to get to where the mold problem is. So needless to say, my friends moved out of that house and uh, they end up finding a different situation. And, and since then, they've been actually uh, experiencing a little bit of alleviation from some of the headaches and those kind of things. So why do I tell you that story? All right, what does that have to do with what we're talking about today? Well, the reason I tell you that story is because you should probably check your basement for like, to see what the air quality is. I'm just saying, I'm just saying about that. But uh, now here's the real reason why I tell you that story. Uh, because today we're talking about a critical aspect of the kind of community that God desires for us. And what is that we're talking about? Well, today we're gonna talk about how biblical community is a community of confession. Biblical community is a community of confession. What I'm hoping that we're gonna put together, together uh, in our time together here is that I'm hoping that we're gonna see that biblical confession is something that is absolutely critical to our well-being. It's absolutely critical to your well-being. It's absolutely critical to my well-being. That in the same way that my friends were living with a silent danger that was slowly but seriously harming their well-being, I believe that when we, when we miss or we neglect or when we ignore the practice of confession, that so too our well-being is at stake. Now, some of you might be thinking to yourself, that sounds a bit extreme, but let me show you what I mean and where I'm getting this from. So if you have your Bibles, I wanna encourage you to open them with me as we talk about this idea of being a community of confession to James chapter five. Right, James five is where we're gonna go. And uh, if, you, uh, if you don't have a Bible or didn't bring a Bible with you, you can go ahead and take our Bibles. You can go to page 980. So there's some Bibles under the chairs. Feel free to use those. Let me just say too that if you don't own a physical copy of the Bible or if you're someone who's still like exploring your faith and you just don't have a Bible to call your own, we'd love for you to have one. You could take one of ours, make it a gift. We'd love for you to go home and read that. And uh, so James 5, take a Bible if you need to. That's where we're gonna go. Now, as you're finding there, let me, just, let me just tell you that today 
what we're going to do is we're actually going to zero in on just one verse. So we're really just going to be talking about one verse in our time here. But before I dig into that verse, I want to give you a little bit of context to what, to what we're reading. So the book of James, we, we actually call it a book, but it's actually a little bit more accurate to call it a letter. It originally was a letter that was written by a guy named James. James was a very prominent leader in the early church. He was someone who would have known Jesus personally in a very deep way. He was a prominent leader in the early church, and he's writing this letter uh, to a group of churches. And what's interesting about James, and there's a lot of things you could say about him, but what's interesting about the book of James is that James, one of the major themes that you're going to see is this idea of faith and action. So James is the one who famously said the words, faith without works is dead. You may have heard that before. And what James basically means is he's saying, hey, listen, faith is not just an intellectual assent. James is going to say faith is not just, you know, uh, agreeing with a certain, you know, set of doctrines. He's going to say faith is much more than that. Real faith, James is going to say, should catapult you and lead you to real action. And so James, maybe more than any other book of the Bible, he's going to get real practical. And James wants to get into our lives. And for those of us who follow Jesus, which I know might not be all of us, but for those of us who follow Jesus, James is going to say, hey, that belief should lead you to certain actions. And one of those actions is what we're going to see here in James chapter 5, verse 16. Here's what he says. He says, therefore, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you might be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and is effective. So this is the only verse we're going to look at here today. I mean, we'll look at some other verses, but it's a primary verse that we're going to be digging into today. Very, very simple. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you might be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I think if you actually stop and think about this verse, it should cause us to maybe ask three questions. And so what I want to do in our time is I just want to address these three questions together. So here they are. First off, I think this should cause us to ask, what is confession? So James says in this passage, confess your sins. Okay, so what does that mean? And what does that look like? And what does biblical confession entail, all right? But he's going to say, uh, the second question is, to whom should we confess? Who do we confess? Right, do we confess to a priest? Do we confess to God? Who exactly do we confess to? And I think James is going to help us with that. And then here's the third question. How does confession heal? So James says, if we confess our sins, there's healing that God has. So what does that, what does that mean exactly? What does James mean when he says that confession leads to healing? So those are the three things that I want to invite you to think about with me here today. Let's start with the first one. What is confession? What is confession? So depending on your, your religious background, and I don't know exactly, I know they're in a room this size, and for people who are watching on live stream, there's probably a lot of different backgrounds that are represented in here. But depending on your religious background, you might have, uh, some of us might have different ideas and different pictures in our mind of what confession looks like and what confession entails. And I actually want to talk about that here in a second. But let me, let me just say, before you think about your own experience with confession, I think the best place to start understanding what confession is, according to the Bible, is to look at how the Bible uses and employs the idea of confession. So I think it's a good just to start with, how does the Bible talk about confession? Kind of start there. And what's interesting is when you dig into it, in the New Testament especially, you're going to see the word confess or confession show up uh, occasionally. And, but what's interesting is that the one word that we use for confess is actually two different words in the Greek language. Now, I want you to stick with me here for a second. I'm going to talk about the, the original language, but I think this is actually really illuminating. 
So there's two words that are used when it talks about confess. And so whenever you see in your Bible the word confess, it's one of these two words. It's either homologeo, okay, that's one Greek word that is translated confess or confession, or it's eximologeo, eximologeo. So it's homologeo or eximologeo. And you can see they're actually related to each other. But I think that understanding these terms and understanding the way that they're used actually sheds a whole lot of light on what biblical confession is and what biblical confession involves. So first off, let me just talk about homologeo. So I had you open your Bibles to James, and in James he says confess. But I want you to know that the word that James uses is not homologeo. He uses the other word. So what is homologeo? Well, it's actually used in other places, and an example would be like 1 John. So in 1 John, John, who was another prominent leader in the early church, he says this. He says, if we claim to be without sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So if we say that we haven't sinned, if we say that we're not sinners, he says, then we've deceived ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But look what he says here. He says, but if we, now here it is, if we confess, homologeo, if we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just, and he will forgive us of our sins, and he will purify us from all Unrighteousness. So this is one sense where you see the idea of confession is homologeo. Now, again, uh, just to kind of get into the, I think that the word itself, the word homologeo is actually really clarifying. So let me just kind of break it down for you real quick. In the Greek language, homologeo is actually two words put together. It's the word homo, which means same. And then it's logos, which means word, or it means to say. So literally, here, here it is, just real simple. Here's what homologeo is. It is to say the same thing. That's what it is. It's to, say, it's to use the same words. It's to say the same thing. About what? It's to say the same thing about my sins that who says about them? That God does. So, so homologeo, I just want you to get this through your mind. Homologeo is, is about agreeing with God. It's about, God, I am saying the same thing that you would say about my sin. Uh, Maybe here's a a more clarifying way to say it. Confession is not about informing God about something, right? It's not like, I'm I'm not like, well, God, let me tell God all the things that I did. He already knows. knows. You're not informing him. Much more, confession is about agreeing with God. I'm agreeing with God. God, I am, I am not minimizing it. I am not justifying it. I am not belittling it. I am not disagreeing with you about it. I am saying it like you say it. I am calling it like you call it, and I am seeing it like you see it. That is what confession is. It is homologate. And I think, I think if we're all being very honest, that sounds good, but it's actually not all that easy to do. It's not easy to do. And I think, I think my guess is you probably agree with me on this. The reason it's not easy to do it's because I think that, quite honestly, the word sin, in our society especially, is really not, it's not a popular word. It's really not a popular idea. The idea of sin, I mean, a lot of us are like, are you, are you kidding me about that guy? I think, quite honestly, even for those of us who follow Jesus, I think that sometimes we have a tendency to believe that what God says about sin is a little bit too severe, I think sometimes we think that way. Sometimes we think, man, well, what God says about sin, like, gosh, it really seems like God has a really high standard. And I mean, come on, like sometimes it seems like it's a little bit severe. But true biblical confession begins by agreeing with God. It's agreeing with his evaluation and his definition of what sin is. Let me give you a ridiculous example to try to, to, try to illustrate what I'm talking about. So this is kind of ridiculous, but I want you to imagine me for a minute. 
a scenario where my friends, the friends that I just told you about who had the mold problem, I want you to imagine that my friends called a professional, a professional in and the professional came in and the professional was like, hey, I gotta tell you, your house is uninhabitable because there's black mold in your house. And I want you to imagine that my friend was like, a black mold, man, that's, that's very severe. That's pretty serious. I don't know if I'd go that far, right? I don't know, I mean, I, I know you're a professional and everything, but I wouldn't call it black mold. I might call it mildew. I might call it some discolorization, but I'm not gonna call it black mold, right? Now, this guy's a professional. What is he gonna say to my friend? Is he gonna say, well, that's okay, you know, if you want to call it mildew, who am I to say what it is? And I'll call it what I call it, and you call it what you call it. I mean, it's all relative anyway, right? You do you. Is that, is that what my friend, is that what this professional is going to say? Well, no, not if he's a loving person. If he's a loving person, he's going to say this. He's going to say, listen, we are not in agreement. We do not agree. And unless you, unless you see it the way that I see it, and unless you say it the way that I say it, and unless you call it what I call it, I'm afraid that you are in danger because there's something that's very dangerous that's here. Now, now here, here's the point that I'm trying to, that's a silly analogy, but here's the point that I'm trying to make. You guys, God is our creator. God is our maker. He's the one who knows us and loves us more than anyone else. And, and, and the truth is that sometimes God says certain things as our creator and as our maker and what happens sometimes is we choose to rationalize or minimalize or put those things into more palatable terms. So let me just give you a couple examples. So we might, we might say stuff like this. We might say, well, you know, yeah, I admit, I, I admit it, sometimes my eyes wander. Sometimes I, I look at things I, I shouldn't look at. Sometimes I look at people in certain ways that I know are probably, you know, my eyes wander a little bit. I'll look at websites I shouldn't look at. And I think God would look and I, honestly, I think God would look and say, well, actually, I have a word for that. Actually, I actually have something I call that. I don't, I don't call that wandering eyes. I call that lust. And he would say, and I, I would call that sin. To which we might say, well, <laughs> I don't know if I'd say all that. I mean, it's not that. I mean, come on. Everyone looks a little bit, right? It's like I did anything. Well, God would say, well, okay, okay. Well, we are not in agreement. We are not in agreement. And we are not standing in, this is not homologeo, right? We're not in agreement with each other. We might say stuff like this. We might say, well, it's just a little white lie. It's just a little white lie. I mean, it doesn't even sound that bad. It's just little. And maybe I, I stretch, the, ah, sometimes I stretch the truth a little bit. And we put things in more palatable terms. And I think God would say, well, actually, I have a word for that. I, I have a word for that. I would call that deceit. I would call that lying. And I would call that a sin. And some of us are like, what? Come on. It's not, it, I, in fact, I wouldn't go that far. And I think God would say, well, okay, well, we are not in agreement. We're not seeing it the same way. You might say things like this. You might say, well, I have a little chip on my shoulder. I just got a little chip on my shoulder. It even sounds cute, doesn't it? Oh, I just got a little, a little chip. <laughs> Chippy chip. My little friend. Oh, that's stupid. I don't know what I'm doing anymore. I got a little chip on my shoulder. And God would say, well, no, I... I would call that bitterness. I would call that resentment. I would call that unforgiveness. I would say, well, I don't think it's, God would say, well, we're not agreeing with each other. Um, we say, it's, just a, it's a small fling. Just a fling. You know, it's got this thing, and, and, and sometimes we hang out, and sometimes we sleep over at each other's places, and it's not that big of a deal. And that, but, you know, it's, I know it's probably not the best, but, and God would say, well, I, that's, I have a word. I don't call it that. I would call that sexual immorality. 
You might be saying, are you kidding me? In our day and age, do you have any? I mean, everyone is living this way. And God would say, well, then look, we're not seeing it the same way. We'd say, well, I, I said a little bit too much. God would say, well, no, that's gossip. That's slander. That's a sin. God, you know, we say things like, oh, I'm just taking a few short, short I just cut some corners. I say, no, that's dishonest gain. And here, here's the point I'm trying to make. Homologeo is, this is all it is. God, I am saying it like you say it. I am, I am seeing it like you see it. And I am calling it like you call it. Basically, I, your evaluation of what is right and wrong is what I'm adopting to believe is my evaluation. I, I don't think that you are overreacting or any of those things. I think that your evaluation of what's good and what's wrong is accurate and true, and I'm bringing myself underneath that. That's what homologeo is. Listen, I feel like I just need to be very clear on this. You know, even as we talk about these things, you guys, Jesus forgives sin. He, G, Jesus has forgiven. He forgives our sin. That's the beauty of the gospel. But I also want you to understand, don't misunderstand Jesus. Jesus is a morally serious person. And he doesn't forgive our sins by trivializing or minimizing or casually interacting with our sin. He forgives our sin by dying for them. It's costly. It's very serious. Sin is a big deal. And God forgives our sin, but it involves confession, agreeing with God about what he says and about his analysis of our condition. So true confession begins with, I think it starts with this idea of agreement with God. But I want you to see, like we talked about, that there's a second aspect of confession, and that's what we see here in the book of James. So James says, therefore, confess your sins to each other. Now, like I said, there's another word that's used for confession, and this is the one that James uses. The word is exomologeo, like we talked about. Now, like I said, you can see that these two words are related. Very, very clearly, these words are related. But the big difference is the prefix that's in the second word is the, word, is the term ex. And what does that mean? What does X mean? Well, you guys know this. It just simply means this. It means out. It means out. So think about words like this, exit or expose. Or if someone says they want to express themselves, they're using the same prefix. What's it mean? It means out. It means get it out. So if you want to express yourself, you're going to get it out. If you're going to expose something, you're going to get it out. If we're going to exit, we're going to get out. So what is this idea of confession? Here's what it is. It's to get it out. It's to get it out. It's to expose it, which I think leads us to the second question, which is, to whom do we get it out? So who are we supposed to confess it to? If, if this is talking about eximologio, who do we do that with? Now, this might be a good spot for me to say that there's, there might be some of you who are here today who maybe grew up in the, in the Roman Catholic tradition. And if you grew up that way, uh, by the way, I kind of grew up that way a little bit. So that's sort of how, a little bit of my background as well. But if you're like me, when I think of confession, the first thing that comes to my mind is I think about what, what is called the sacrament of penance. Now, if you guys are not familiar with that, my guess is you're probably somewhat familiar, but in the Roman Catholic tradition, there is some, there's different sacraments that, 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 uh, that Roman Catholics adhere to, and those, one of those sacraments is penance. And what that means is it means that you go to the priest. And every so often on a periodic basis, you go to a priest and you confess your sins. You kind of take all the sins that, you've, you know, that, you, that you knowingly have done and you confess those to the priest. And then the priest will then absolve you of your sins. And uh, through that, you will be forgiven of your sins. And then you go back out in the world again and then you come back and you sort of do the same thing, as that kind of thing. Now, I, I wanna say something that if you're, if you're someone who is a Roman Catholic or if you're someone who came from that background, quite honestly, you might wince at what I'm about to say. But I want you to know that that, 
kind of idea of confession, that picture of confession, actually doesn't come from the Bible. Uh, that, that idea of confession stems from tradition, or what Roman Catholics would call sacred tradition. That's actually what it comes from. Let me just say, the closest thing that you have in the Bible to that understanding of confession is probably in the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, God commanded his people, the Israelites, he said, hey, whenever you sin, I want you to go to the temple, and I want you to go to the priest. And so the priests in the Old Testament were like mediators between God and man, and they would have to confess to the priest because the priest was the only one who was qualified to make an animal sacrifice for your sins. So in the Old Testament, you would go to the priest, and he would be the one who would mediate between you and God, and he would slaughter an animal, and that was done for the forgiveness of your sins. And that, that was all true up until the New Testament. Now, when you get to the New Testament, especially if you read the book of Hebrews, which comes right after James, the book of Hebrews is going to tell us some amazing things. It's going to tell us this, that now that Jesus Christ has come, that Jesus is the true high priest and the only high priest that we need, that we no longer need an earthly mediator because we have the true mediator between God and man, who is Jesus Christ himself. And the Bible says that now Jesus Christ is the one who ultimately sacrificed for our sin once and for all. So we don't need to keep sacrificing over and over again. So what does that mean for you and me? Here's what it means. It means that you and I can confess anytime, anyplace, anywhere to Jesus directly. We don't have to confess to a priest. We have to confess to another person. We can confess right to Jesus. That's what scripture is going to say. And it means we don't have to seek penance for our sins. We don't have to because our sins have already been paid for once and for all in Jesus Christ, past, present, future. So we don't have to ask God for his forgiveness. We can thank him for it because we already have it. Now, like I said, if you're someone who grew up in a Catholic tradition, you might recoil at that a little bit. Some of you who are Protestants, you hear that and you might be thinking, yeah, you tell them Catholics. We don't don't have to confess to no priest. We confess to Jesus. You tell them, pastor. You may say what you're thinking right now. And and quite honestly, I think, honestly, sometimes, let's be honest, Protestants, sometimes we can feel superior to Catholics for that. But let me just say, before we get all high and mighty, not so fast, not so fast. Because James says, James says, he doesn't just say confess your sins to God. James says, look at this. He says, therefore, confess your sins to, say it with me, each other and pray for, say it with me, each other so that you might be healed. See, James says something interesting here. Now, what's fascinating is that James, in the context of this passage, is not talking about religious hierarchy. He's not. James doesn't say, hey, you know, go confess to the religious leaders. Hey, go confess to a priest. Hey, go confess to a pastor. No, here's what James, this is, this is all James is saying. It's as simple as this. James is saying, hey, Christians, hey, followers of Jesus, you guys should share life together. And when you get together and when you gather, however that is in your homes or you know, over coffee or you know, when you get together on a weekend like this, when you get together, you should share life together. And part of what that should look like is that you should also share that part of your life that quite honestly is you're the most reluctant to share. You know, as you're sharing life together and as you're doing, he says, one of the things that you should do with each other, with one another, with one another, is you should do this, is you should confess the part of you that quite honestly, you're kind of scared to say because you're afraid of what other people might think. The part of you that you sometimes are embarrassed about or you're ashamed about, you should share that part as well. He's saying, listen, Christians, when you are together, one of the things you should do as you share your life together is you should confess 
your sins to each other. Which, quite honestly, for some of us in the room, is a radically new idea and a very scary thought of confessing our sins to each other. And I think for those of us who follow Jesus, it, honestly, it should cause, and I know not everyone here follows Jesus, but for those of us who follow Jesus, it should cause us to ask the question, hey, if the Bible says this, if the Bible says this is something that should be part of our life, is this something that is part of my life? Is this happening in my life? Do I have anybody that this is happening with in my life? And I know what some of you might be thinking, or possibly, I know what some of you might be thinking. Some of you might be thinking, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. I mean, I, I'm okay. Confessing to God, I'm okay with that. I'm all right with confessing to God. And even, some of you are even thinking, you know, confessing to a religious leader, confessing to a priest who I don't really know or I have a casual relationship but they don't, that they don't actually know me, that, that sounds okay too. But this idea of if I start confessing to the each other's in my life, like the people who actually know me and the people who see me and the people who I do life with together, well, that's, that's scary. And you know one of the reasons that it's scary? There's a lot of them, but here's one. Because if I start confessing to the people who actually know me and the people who actually see me, then that might mean that I actually need to, you ready for it? Change. I might actually need to change. So you guys, I think, I think James understand something, quite honestly, that I think that we need to understand, that he's trying to communicate something, is that this kind of confession, ex homologeo, is about leading to genuine change. It's about healing. He says, this, isn't it fascinating? In John, he says that we confess our sins so that we can experience the forgiveness of sins. That's homologeo. James is not talking about that. This has nothing to do with forgiveness. You're already forgiven. You're already forgiven. This has way more to do with healing, with change, with genuine transformation that's to take place. And again, we'll talk about that here in a minute. But here's something that James understands. He understands this. And, and, and listen, many of us have learned this as well. James knows that it's not enough to simply confess to God, to just agree with God. You have to do that. But that's not enough because the truth is, the truth is that you can go to God and you can confess to him and you can say, God, I'm sorry, God, I'm sorry, God, I'm sorry, God, I'm sorry, God, I'm sorry. And you can come back over and over again and still experience no real and lasting change in your life. It's possible to go through the same patterns for months or even for years of confessing to God, confessing to God, confessing to God, but not actually seeing transformation happen in your life. James understands this. Real faith, our faith, your faith, for those of us who follow Jesus, always is worked out in community. It's always worked out in community. And James is helping us to see that God has given us a tremendous resource in each other. We have a tremendous resource to help one another. Now, again, I'm just anticipating this, but my guess is some of you are hearing this message, you're tracking with me, and some of you are reading the book of James, and quite honestly, you might be thinking to yourself this. You might be thinking to yourself, I hear what you're saying. I see what the Bible says. I actually, I, I totally agree with it. I see what you're saying and all that kind of stuff, but you have already pre-decided in your mind that you're like, I am not gonna do that. I'm just not gonna do it. And it doesn't matter what you say or what I, I don't disagree with you, but the truth is I'm just not gonna, I'm just not going to do that. And let me just say that if you're a person who's a follower of Jesus and you're a person who sees God's word 
and you're a person who, you know, maybe for you, you have a, you have a, a there's a something in your life right now and you're going back to God, you're saying, God, I'm sorry, God, I'm sorry, God, I'm sorry, God, I'm sorry, but you're not seeing any progress and you're not seeing any change and you're hearing all this and you have pre-decided in your mind that you're just not going to do this. Can I just press into you for just a second? And I'm only doing it because I love you. But can I just ask you a very uncomfortable question? And here's a question. If you're saying, I hear what you're saying, I see what the Bible is saying, and I see things in my life, and I keep asking God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and I'm not seeing real change, real progress, and I've just predecided I am not going to do what you're saying here today. Here's a question. Do you actually want to change? Like, do you really want to? Because here's what James, I think the book of James, this is what he's saying. James is saying, listen, if you say you have faith, and if you say you trust God, but you're not willing to allow that belief translate into action, James actually has a word for it. And I'm just telling you, it's his word, it's not mine. Here's what James says. He says, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. You have to do what it says. So don't just, he says, don't just, you know, sometimes we can do this. We can listen to God's word about, ah, I'm so convicted. What a convicting message. I'm so convicted. And, and, or we could say, man, that was, that was a stimulating message. That was very stimulating. I didn't know those Greek terms. That was interesting. But James is saying, listen, if you walk away and that's all you're getting and it doesn't lead to real change, he says, you're deceived because it's supposed to lead to action. It's supposed to lead to transformation. But here's the truth. If you want to see real change, if you really do want to change, then James says, okay, then the answer's easy. Confess your sins to each other. Confess your sins. The answer's simple. Confess your sins to each other. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, okay, so can you, uh, on that point, can you help me out a little bit? What does that look like exactly? Like, who am I supposed to confess to? Does that mean that we're just going to pass around a microphone here this morning and each one of us is just going to... Does that mean at life group this week, the icebreaker is going to be share your deepest, darkest secrets and regrets? Because if that's the case, I'm not coming to life group. Like, there's no way. So let me help you out. That's not it. I don't think eximologeo means you need to tell everybody. I don't think that's said. But I do think, let me just help you out. Let me just give you two very practical things. Who do you confess to? Okay, I think it's this. You tell the person you've hurt or you tell a person that can help. Super simple. Tell a person you're hurt. What do you mean? Tell the person that you've wronged. Tell the person that you've lied to. If you've cheated, if you've stolen, if you've lied, if you've been dishonest, if you've taken from someone, if you've cheated someone, if you've cheated on someone, what do you do? You eximologeo, you go to them, you confess it. Say, hey, I've wronged you. Hey, I've sinned against you. Hey, I need to let you know about this, right? Or what you do is you tell a person that can help. If you got an ongoing issue that you are not finding victory on on your own, if there's a struggle with sin or there's a struggle with a harmful and destructive behavior that's in your life that you've been keeping under wraps and no one else knows about, you tell someone who can help. You're like, what does that mean? I think it means this. It means somebody, I think it means someone who's a fellow or follower of Jesus, right, to each other. I think it's someone who can pray for you. It's someone who has the spiritual maturity to hold you accountable, to come alongside of you to offer you wisdom and accountability and those kind of things. Maybe it's someone in your life. It's someone who knows you, by the way, someone who can see you, someone who interacts with you regularly. That's what you're talking about, someone who can help. So you tell, you either tell someone that you hurt or you tell someone that you hurt. Now that's simple, right? That's super simple. But we all know this. As simple as this is, I think all of us know this is not easy. This is not easy. This is very scary. 
This is very scary. And, and, and the reason I know that this is not easy is because there's a, ten, there's a tension that arises in us when we have this conversation. And, and I, I think this is the best, and I, I understand this tension because I feel it myself. But maybe here's the best way to say it. Here's the tension. We fear the consequences of confession more than we fear the consequences of concealment. I think here's the tension. We fear the consequences of confessing. What are they gonna think? What are they gonna say? If I tell that person what I did, I don't know what they're gonna think of me. If, if, it's, if, if they really understood what I struggle with, they're gonna, man, I don't, I don't know what's gonna, we fear the consequences of confession more than the consequences of concealment. But here's what I believe, here's why I believe God calls us to confess. Because God understands something that we struggle to believe. And it's this that the full-blown consequences of concealment are far, far, far worse than the consequences of confession. They're far, far, far worse. Because here's what James knew. James knew what many of us have learned, and quite honestly, some of us have learned the hard way. That secrets, that secret sin, that unconfessed sin, is like black mold. It grows in the dark. And over time, it doesn't get better, it gets worse. And over time, it begins to permeate and change the atmosphere of every relationship and every room of your heart. It impacts us and it weighs on us and it has a serious effect on us. And the full-blown consequences of sin are far worse than the consequences of confession. And so the Bible says, the Bible says that like black mold, if you wanna get rid of black mold, what do you have to do? Well, you have to acknowledge that it's there. You have to agree that it's black mold. That's the first step. Then after that, you have to actually get it out of there. You have to get it, you have to exit, you have to get it out of there. You have to expose it to the light and you have to get it out of your basement. It's the whole idea. And here's what James says. He says, hey, when you do that, Christians, when you do that, he says there is going to be healing. There's healing. And so this leads us to the third question. So what kind of healing are we talking about? How does confession heal? That's exactly what James says. He says, confess your sins to each other, pray for each other, you might be healed. Now, I, I just, I'm not gonna get too in the weeds on this one, but I wanna tell you, I spent <clears throat> more time than I care to admit reading commentaries to try to figure out what exactly they mean by healing. And I'll be honest with you, there's a lot of different opinions on this. And so some commentators are convinced that what this is talking about is physical healing. And some commentators are convinced that this is talking about spiritual healing. But I just wanna tell you, and again, I'm not, I won't tell you, get too deep in the weeds, but let me tell you where I landed on this and what I'm convinced of, in my opinion. I think that when the Bible says that when we confess there's healing, it actually has in mind all of the above. Physical, psychological, spiritual, otherwise. I think that it has. Now, the direct, the direct um, context, I think he's actually talking probably about physically he, physical healing. But I think if you look at it in its broader context, it's probably talking about all the above. And, and let me just tell you what I mean. I'll just, I think I just make a practical case for this. I think that when we confess in this way, that first off, there are, there's physical healing. I think that there's actually physical effects to this. There's physical healing that's involved. Now, that's not to say, by the way, that every sickness and every ailment that we have in life is due to unconfessed sin. I don't think that's true. But I think the truth is that what we do, what we're, listen, we are holistic people. And I think what we do physically affects us spiritually and what we do spiritually affects us physically. Those things are connected. We're so accustomed to separating out the physical and the psychological and the spiritual that sometimes I think we miss out on the fact that we are a whole person and that everything is connected to everything else. Here's the truth. Unconfessed sin, dishonesty and hidden secrets, they harm us and they weigh us down. And that has a physiological effect on you. It's a physiological effect on me. 
In fact, I want you just to read with me. This is actually from King David. This is Psalm 32. Look what he says about the effects of unconfessed sin in his life. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me and my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. And then I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I'll confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. But do you notice what he says? Look at the terms he uses. He says, my bones wasted away. I was groaning all the day. My strength was sapped. Now this is admittedly poetic, but do you notice that all of the descriptions are physiological? He's saying, man, this was weighing me down and my energy was sapped and I felt depleted. He says, and then I confessed. And listen, I think the truth is, some of us have experienced this. There is something powerful that happens when you get it out and you tell someone, you're like, oh, I just feel, I feel different. Why is that? I think it's because there's physical effects to it. Not not just physical though. They could also say that there's healing from destructive habits. The part of the healing that God has in mind is there's healing from destructive habits. Here's the truth. The truth is that for every single one of us, there are certain habits, addictions, and harmful patterns in our life that we simply cannot break on our own. I think all of us have this, that no matter how much willpower, no matter how many times you confess it, that you just simply will not find victory or or you won't find progress in that area on your own. I've talked to so many different people, things like uh, pornography addictions, things like substance abuses, things like eating disorders, things like overeating, things like compulsive lying, things like gossip and slander. There's a whole bunch of those kind of things. Quite honestly, those are things that for, for many of us who are in this room, we have found ourselves struggling with those things. And we don't, we wish it was, we wish that God would take it away. We desperately wish that we could find victory over it. But we find ourselves in the same place over and over again, crying out to God, saying, God, forgive me, God, forgive me, God, forgive me. I don't wanna do this anymore. And yet we find ourselves back at it again. And, and I think that the truth is, here, here's the truth. Sometimes we cry out to God and we say, God, please, I just, I don't wanna struggle with this anymore. God, please, would you heal me from this? God, would you please just give me the resources I need to overcome this issue in my life? I don't wanna be struggling with the same thing three years, five years, 10 years down the line. And I want you to consider this with me. Is it possible that maybe God has already answered that prayer in giving you the resources that you need to find progress? Here's what I believe. I believe that the resource that God has given us is given us each other because in one another, in a community of people, we have advice, encouragement, strength, and accountability that we need, that we don't have inside of ourselves, but exists within the community that's around us. But all that is only discovered and tapped into on the other side of confession. You gotta confess. And when we confess, it unleashes, it unleashes God's power to heal us these things. Listen, like I just tell you, I mean, just in my own story, I could be the first one, I could be the very first one to testify of the power of this to be true in my own life. In my own life, there are, you know, I have destructive habits and ongoing struggles that exist in my own life. And I I can just tell you, there have been things in my life, patterns in my life that I just have not had the power to overcome with my own willpower. Things that I would go to God and confess to God, I'm sorry, God, I'm sorry, I'm never gonna do it again. And then yet I'd find myself back in the same place, crying out to God, asking him to help. But can I tell you, and I'd just be the first one to testify to this, it wasn't until... I I opened up to real people about my real problems that I started to experience true progress and true healing in these areas. Not not perfection, but progress. 
Change occurred. But it was because of confession. And I believe that it unleashes God's power in our lives. God wants that for us. Like one of the things that we see is psychological healing. Psycho, you know, for some of you, um, honestly, even as we're talking right now, maybe there's past decisions or there's past regrets that you're thinking about, things that no one knows about. Or maybe for you, there's current situations or current addictions that are in your life right now that you're trying to keep on the radar, things that you're hiding in the shadows. And maybe for you, quite honestly, you are carrying around an immense amount of shame and an immense amount of guilt. And you're carrying that with you. And, and you know, for some of you, man, I, I, just, I know that there's just, reg- maybe for some of you, there's regrets that are just constantly screaming in your thoughts and they're accusing you all the time. And for some of you, you live with this fear. You live with a fear that, man, maybe I've crossed the line so far that God could never forgive me. And you have this fear and this shame and this guilt. And can I just tell you that what saddens me the most is not that you've done those things and not that you've been to those places and not that you have those issues. What saddens me the most is that, is that those things have been untold and that you're, in your mind and in your heart, you are being tormented and you're being rendered ineffective because of the guilt and the shame that you carry because of it. But can I just tell you, and I, just, I can say this on the authority of God's word, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't. You don't have to carry that stuff around. God doesn't want that for you. He doesn't want that for us. And so he's given us confession. And part of what happens when we confess is we're able to deal with some of the psychological trauma that happens with guilt and shame. And there's true freedom that's found. I love the way Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a great book called Life Together. Many of you guys have heard of it before. It's all about biblical community. He said this, in confession, the breakthrough to community takes place. Sin demands to have a man by himself. It withdraws him from the community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him. And the more deeply he becomes involved in it, the more disastrous in his isolation. Sin wants to remain unknown. It shuns the light. In the darkness of the unexpressed, it poisons the whole being of a person. It's like black mold. But he goes on, he says this. He says, but in confession, the light of the gospel breaks through into the darkness in the seclusion of the heart. The sinner surrenders. He gives up all of his evil. He gives his heart to God and he finds the forgiveness of all his sin in the fellowship of Jesus Christ and in his brother. Here's the truth. We can't change the past, but we can heal from the past. We can heal from regrets. We can feel from the shame that God has. There's a psychological healing. And then lastly, I would say that I think there's a relational healing. Uh, This one's actually pretty obvious. I think that uh, the first step to to relational reconciliation is confession. That if you've sinned against somebody, it's the first step. And there can be real relational healing that can take place as a result of this kind of confession. And listen, there's so much more we could say, but for time's sake, we'll draw the line there. But I, I I would just kind of summarize it by saying this. I think we can summarize what we're saying. There is healing that is found in a community of confession and prayer. There's real healing that's found. I want the band to come up and uh, as we prepare to close our time down together, actually we want to end with a compelling quote. This is a quote that I thought did a really good job of really kind of summarizing and casting the vision for the kind of community that Jesus came to create. And you guys, I think that Jesus came to create a really awesome community and it's a kind of community of honesty and humility and vulnerability and transparency I think, it's what he, I think it's what he wants for us. And, a, and not just humility and transparency, but prayer and healing, that God would want that for you and me. 
This is a quote from a guy named Tyler Stanton. He said, that, he said this way. He said, one of the biggest mistakes we've made in the modern church is to reimagine spiritual maturity as the need to confess less. The unspoken assumption is that as I ascend in a relationship with God, I confess less because I have less to confess. He said, but true spiritual maturity is the opposite. It's not an ascension, but an archaeological dig as we discover layer after layer of what's been in us all along. He says this, spiritual maturity means more confession, not less. Maturity is discovering the depths of my personal brand of fallenness and the depths to which God's grace has really penetrated even without me knowing it. The pathway for maturity is not an ascent, it's a descent. And a maturing church is not a confessing, a maturing church is a confessing church. Not a church with sin, without sin, but a church without secrets. I love that last night. Not a church without sin, but a church without secrets. If you're part of the Medina East Campus, you guys, we are not, we are, we are not a church without sin. You know that. <laughs> We're not a church without sin. You're not without sin, I'm not without sin. But by God's grace and with God's help, maybe we could be a church without secrets. A church where we experience real confession, true transformation that God has for us. So here's a question. What do you need to confess? And to whom do you need to confess it? I can't answer that question for you. Only you and God can answer that question. But would you be willing to trust God enough? Would you be willing to trust him? That he maybe has provided for you the very means of transformation that you've been asking for. And maybe it's on the, and maybe today, maybe even today is the day that you go from concealment to confession. Let's pray together. Jesus, we want to say thank you that you have died for our sins. Thank you that you didn't trivialize, minimize, rationalize our sin away. You don't deal with it casually, but you dealt with it definitively on the cross. And you took our sin and you took our shame, and that's a serious thing. And so, God, we don't, we don't want to, for a moment, minimize your grace But Lord, we do pray you'd help us. Help us, God. This is one of those areas that takes a lot of faith because we're scared. We're scared people. We're scared of what people might think. We're scared of the consequences of confessing. But Lord, I pray that we would fear much more the consequences of concealment. Lord, we believe that there's freedom that you have for us and we believe that sin loves the dark. And when we expose it, when we get it into the light, there's real transformation and real liberation and real freedom that's found. But maybe even for someone here today, maybe a person who's seeking to figure out who you are and has never put their faith in you, I pray that maybe even right now for the first time they would confess to you, they would agree with you, they would stand in agreement that you are their maker and you love them. And God, for some who are in this room who know that there's something to confess, but they're struggling to have the faith to do it, I just ask you, Lord, give them the boldness, give them the courage to believe you. And uh, yeah, so Father, we just wanna ask you that as we sing these songs, that they would be a declaration of our belief in the kind of God that you are, a God who loves, a God who saves, and a God who forgives. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen.